we are in the middle, actually, with... How, how long ago was Easter? That's all? Wow. Life happens. But we're in the middle of our Easter tight season, which we have called Drawing the Circle Wider. And uh, what you see, we, we understand that the resurrection of Jesus, he intended it from the beginning, even before the foundation of the earth, as Paul and Peter's proclaim, that it was uh, 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 God wanted to save the entire world. You know, and make that circle wide for everybody in the family got to just come in and fit in that circle. That's why we're calling it drawing the circle wide. In the first of our, actually on Easter Sunday, we discovered something very interesting. That even though, so that's the idea, you know, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he intentionally, the power of the resurrection, draw the circle wider. For Jesus, it was about 12 people who hung around with him, maybe 72 sometimes, and we know eventually there were about 120. In chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, there are thousands that are with him, but at the end of the chapter, he's left alone with maybe some seven or eight. Because they were figuring out the cost for discipleship. But the circle was drawn wider when the resurrection of Jesus came. And, and, and we found out that first Sunday that even though no one, no one actually saw that event of the resurrection, no one's witness to the resurrection itself, what we, the reports that we have in all four Gospels and in, in, in other literature is that the tomb was empty. The angels, the, 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 the cops that were there, you know, the security that was there, they all reported, it's empty. We don't know how it happened, but it just happened. The tomb was empty. But even though no one saw that amazing event, the effects of it, the repercussions, the waves that it made last for generations and thousands of years. How amazing is that? In the second Sunday that we gathered, we were looking at the idea that the, that the resurrection uh, empowers us and it gives us the power to become a family. It gives us the power to be different and to make a difference. And it gives us the power of eternal life of all things. Grab that one because that is a very important one. It gives us the power of eternal life. Today I want to talk about the ripples of grace. And in the ripples of grace, you know... Uh, I have an issue when I speak about grace because some of us have become so accustomed to it that we think we know what it really means. Some of us ignore it because we figured it all out. Some of us don't even know half of what it is, and we just kind of brush through it. But in reality, it is the very grace of God that saves us. You see, when the Scripture says that we are saved by grace, that doesn't mean that we are saved by grace plus your works now. How many of you, because I, I hear that, I talk to people during the week, believe it or not, and, and I hear things that, mm, but I don't challenge them at the moment because it's not the right context or the right time. But I hear, you know, uh, lately I've been asking questions, what do people think when they hear me saying the word covenant? How about a couple of you saying, what comes to your mind when I say the word covenant? Promises. Goodness. I was asking the wrong people. <laughs> well, the idea was that, because I was getting some answers, you know, it's, it's an agreement. It is a deal. It is the law. And I want to fulfill the law so that I can go to heaven. And forget about heaven and fulfill the law. You failed already. Our sins, our brokenness had already placed us in, and number one, inability. We're not able, 
to reach out to God because we are dead in our sins and trespasses. That's what it means. Dead. How many of you have seen that that person done something for themselves? They don't. They're dead. So if we are dead, how then can we come to life in Christ? By the grace of God, and we define the grace of God, God's initiation of reaching out to people and redeeming people. Because we love God, listen to this, the scripture says, because he first loved us. So this idea that we are saved by grace, but then we have to continue, and, and it depends on us to continue saved? No, that is humanism, that is egoism, that is heresy. So grace is a problem for many Christians. Many do claim, you know, to understand it, maybe move on and forget about it. But in our Reformed thinking, the sovereign God who's in charge of everything, we begin our thought with God. God is sovereign. So God decides to save humanity that is lost. It wasn't the other way around. The Scripture does not, does not tell us a story of people going after God and people finding God. Actually, when that happened, God confused their tongues. So it is not us reaching God and us pleasing God to be saved. Salvation is absolutely given freely and offered by God. And guess what you do to keep it? What is the only thing that we do to keep it? No, that's works. Believe. And, and then the... the this is amazing because even the, the text says that that faith that allows us to believe is not even ours. It's a gift from God. That's what it teaches. So we are then humbled before God. We are then realized that we have nothing before God for God to save us. Even the faith that God gave us to be saved was a gift from God because we were dead in our sin, and he breathed that life in us of salvation. But the problem is still that we sin. And here we have Peter in our story, a man who has, by chapter 10, has already been filled by the Spirit. By chapter 10, he's already going out around Palestine to speak about the gospel. He's supervising home churches already by chapter 10. And yet, he doesn't get what Jesus was about. He gets part of it, but doesn't get all of it. That's okay, we're there. But Jesus, in Jesus' love for his disciples, Jesus continues working with Peter. And he finds himself to have been an ethnocentrist. You know who Peter was? Uh, the fine word was a Judaizer, right? Remember that word, Judaizer? You know what that means? He was ethnocentric. Ethno from the word ethnic, centric, center. Ethnocentric is an emotional attitude that many of us have, actually all of us have. Because I know that the best rice with chicken in the whole world is from Puerto Rico. But you see, that's an example of ethnocentrism. Judging 
or considering our culture to be the center, the most valuable, the standard for which every other culture is going to be judged. Can we have an example of that? I ain't talking. Are you kidding? It says that the white dude is telling the African, go back to Africa. The white dude is telling the, the Hispanic, go back to Mexico. But then he finds a Native American, what's he going to say? Exactly. So you see, this whole idea that we are the best, that we are it, and everybody has to adapt to us, is called ethnocentrism. And that is a sin in the kingdom of God. It is. Next, please. What happens is that Peter, yeah, let's leave it there, that Peter was the Jew of Jews. He was a great Jewish man. And he knew for sure that Jesus had come from the Jews. Oh, Scripture says that. Salvation came from the Jews. But he was also sure, and he would actually put his neck on the block for this one. He did. Tried. And saying that salvation was only for the Jews. Only for the Jews. Forget about those ethnic groups. Forget about those Italian white supremacists who have taken over Palestine. Oh, we call them Romans. But that's who they were. They were occupying a colored country. For hundreds of years it had been happening. And they've been oppressing. So Paul, I mean Peter, and some of the disciples thought that the whole Jesus movement was about getting rid of Rome. And here we are, again, Israel, the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about a different Israel. Actually, uh, the book of Galatians is written during this whole issue. Right around that chapter, between chapter 10 and chapter 15 of Acts. Because Paul is saying that if an angel comes down from heaven and gives you a different gospel, a gospel of having to obey the law, call him anathema, condemned. Guess who Paul was referring to? To whom was Paul referring? To Peter. Yeah. Oh, they were just very refined. Not like today. <laughs> they were very sophisticated with each other's attack. So Peter was going around saying that in order for you to come to Christ, you have to become a Jew first. And Paul said, no, you don't. So God is going to deal with that ethnocentrism, that sin that still is covering Peter's heart. And it happens around an issue of hunger. So Peter is in Joppa, and, and he's visiting Joppa. Joppa is a, a, still there, a city in the coast of the Mediterranean. And just north of it, maybe around 30 miles north, you find Caesarea. The ruins of Caesarea are still there, right, right, right next to Tel Aviv. And Caesarea was precisely that, the center of the Roman Empire. Cornelius was a Roman oppressor who was actually in charge of a lot of stuff, and he lived in Caesarea. But for some reason, Cornelius knew something about the God of the Jews. And he was okay with that little understanding that he had about the God of the Jews. So he would pray and give offerings, as he heard the Jews would do. One day out of the sky, the blue sky. An angel shows up in front of this infidel, pagan, 
oppressor, white supremacist. And you know, I'm using the terms in, in cheek. And says, hey, go send two of your men to Joppa and ask for this guy called Simon Peter who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house close by the beach. And t- tell him to come over. A day later, we read the story, Peter is up on the roof hungry. And God uses hunger quite a bit to speak to us. I don't know if you realize that. Many kinds of hungers. Peter is in the roof. He is actually, you know, waiting for the meal to be prepared. It's around noon, so he's kind of late already for the meal. And, and he falls asleep. He has a trance. He has a vision. The translations vary into what kind of experience he had. He obviously has an experience where he loses some type of his consciousness, and he's now aware of something else that's happening, that this big living is coming from the sky down to he- from heaven to the sky with all sorts of animals that he's not supposed to even eat, including the Piggly Wiggly that's in there. He's a Jew. He's not supposed to eat pork. But there was a Piggly Wiggly and probably some, some lobster and some crabs and, and some unclean stuff that the Jews were not supposed to touch. And the voice from heaven says, kill and eat. But the good nationalist religious Jew said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm a good Jew, and I don't eat that unclean stuff. And the voice from heaven says, do not call unclean what God has cleaned. Ah. He doesn't get it because he must have heard that three times. If, the, if we are told one time that the linen came down and the voice said this, he doesn't get it. He heard it three times. He saw the linen come down. He offered to eat. He denied to eat because he was so good and so self-righteous. And yet he was sinning against God because his self-righteousness was an abomination before God. God was drawing the circle wider and Peter was trying to keep it smaller. Because of his ways of thinking, because of his nationalism, they got tangled up with his religion. You see, the, the problem, that's the problem. Peter has that problem. So what's the solution? So God, who's going to play around with this individual and going to teach him right, says, you know, in drawing the circle wider through the resurrection of Christ and through the ripples of grace, God is going to pour God's grace over Peter, exposing him to an experience that will change his life. So this is what happens. He gets out from, the, from that dream, vision, trance that he was in. He hears that somebody's knocking at the door. They, he was probably at an Airbnb because they were cooking for him. And Tanner, I guess Simon the Tanner had a sideline you know, with renting rooms. So he's there, and they ask, is there a Simon Peter staying here? Yeah, he's here. They meet together. I think they eat. And, and Peter says, you know, this Roman centurion guy wants you to come to the house. I'm surprised that even Peter would go. Because if you think about it, Peter was not supposed to go to this unclean people's house. But he had a dream, he had that vision, and I think he was still a little bit taken up by it. And he said, okay, I'll go. So he goes to the house of the oppressor. He goes to the house of an enemy. He goes to the house of a pagan because he still does not know that Cornelius loves God. So he doesn't know that. So what happened is that, well, when Peter walks in the house, he insults everybody in the house. What a wonderful guest. You bring somebody into the house and they insult you. What would you do? 
This is where the ripples of grace are really covering and covering. Because he walks in the house, he walks into the general's house, where the general had collected all his family and friends. And the first thing Peter says when he walks in the house is, you know what? I'm a Jew. And I'm not even supposed to be in this unclean, pagan house. I don't think there was an exchange there. He's <laughs> coming in. And he tells a story. Well, as Peter began to tell the story of what happened to Jesus, something that Peter was not expecting to ever happen, happened. The Spirit of God fell upon those white Italian oppressors, bigots. But the Jewish nationalist bigot was saying something that he wasn't supposed to see. And suddenly he begins to see the love of God, the grace of God poured over this Italian general pagan. And he begins to hear the witnesses. They belong to God as they spoke. Some of them spoke in tongues. You see, it was the Spirit of God who prompted the soldier to call Peter. It was the Spirit of God who prompted Peter with a vision to go. It was the Spirit of God who poked him to, to, to go along with the messengers. And it was the Spirit of God who poured the ripples of grace that transformed everybody in that household. Peter got in trouble. Did you know that? Peter got in trouble for going into Cornelius' house, for preaching the gospel, and for the Spirit to fall down on them. That's the council of Jerusalem. They're accusing Peter of breaking the whole thing. And Peter is just defenseless. And look at the words that he discovers while he is there. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation or peoples, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. He has to defend himself before the council of Jerusalem. He says, all I could do was lay hands on them and pray for them. Because I saw the Spirit of God falling on them. That is the grace of God. You see, the ripples of the grace of God makes an outsider an insider. The ripples of the grace of God drops and eliminates prejudice, eliminates ethnocentrism, because we don't see anymore the church as part of America. We see the church as separate from America. We see the values of the church that are values of unity, not the values of the world that divides and, 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 and wants to promote prejudice and inequality. That's ethnocentrism. We want more people from Norway, not from crap countries like Africa or Haiti. That's racism. No matter how you look at it, the worst divide people by race. Peter was dividing them by religion and by nationality. Same thing. We are called to not look at those things. We are called to be above that. When Jesus was making the circle, it was kind of small. When Peter began to realize the circle was going to get wider, and Paul drew even the circle wider. It was the ripples of grace that showed Peter how his nationalistic view of religion was not God's view. He had to do with God's kingdom. The ripples of grace, of grace creates waves of change. The ripples of grace, they sip into the cracks 
of a hardened heart. The ripples of grace broke down defenses, religious and nationalistic defenses that Peter had. The ripples of grace will drench the hearts and minds with fresh water. You see, dear friends, we divide ourselves. We put a lot of boundaries. We divide ourselves in, in, in kins, in class, and clan, in family, and faith. We, we categorize and divide ourselves with nationalistic ideas, ethnicity, denominations, and political allegiance. We set standards and live with the affiliation of those who are insiders, and we learn to hate outsiders in that realm. But in the realm of God, we learn differently. We learn that Jesus died for all. We learn that there is no difference between men, women, between black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Not even between the Jets and the Sharks. Remember those? This story brings us together. This story tells us that God's circle is widened, that we as the church, we are to move in that direction, that we are to have no boundaries, that we are to have no barriers when people come in and want to be part of what God is doing. May we follow the Spirit as we move in that way. May we move in that way so that we can become those individuals who are drawing the circle wider. We would limit it this way because we can control that. I can't control this. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> but let's join together and understand the grace of God as God draws a wider circle. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the grace that you pour in our hearts. We thank you that the job that Jesus did on the cross was perfect, was sufficient, satisfied your demands, and therefore there is nothing that we can add to make it better, to make it better, oh God. Thank you for doing such a perfect job of salvation. That puts our egos at test because, oh, we want to do something. We, I, I, I. Teach us to die to ourselves so that you can really grow within us. Teach us that we can do nothing to earn or keep our salvation except to follow you. And even following you your spirit is prompting us because we belong to you. And because you have a plan in our lives, in our community, in our church, we then follow you. You don't follow us. I thank you, O oh God, for your word, and, and I thank you for the listeners of your word. May your spirit retain that which is yours in their hearts. And may it continue to speak to them throughout the week as they either discover something comforting or something uncomforting. Thank you, God, for being our God. We thank you for this community and for the neighbors around us. We pray for them. We pray for our teachers. We pray for our students in the area. We also pray for the medical staff nearby and for our businesses. We pray, O oh God, for our first responders and, and all who care for this community. 
But we thank you that you give us the privilege to also make an impact in this community by coming together and worship, yes, but also putting our finances together to create an amazing summer program that will help our kids get ahead academically and thus be more successful in life. We thank you for that privilege. We thank you that this coming week we can, we can, yeah, we, that Cheryl and her team are going to come this week and, and cook a wonderful meal for Tuesday for our community to enjoy a free meal as a ministry from you, oh God. We thank you that you were able to do so many things for your glory, small things, big things. And we praise you and we thank you. We ask, uh, God, that you would encourage more hearts to get involved in the life of the church and discover the joy that it is to be in your pastures day in and day out. We pray for those who are sick at home. We pray especially for Shirley Allen. We pray for others, oh God, that are in the lips and are in our minds. We pray for Charlie as he deals with Shirley. We thank you for your spirit that empowers us to continue in the middle of our battles. And we pray for those who are sick and those who are getting well and those who know they will only get well when they are in your presence. And we thank you for that certainty. But we thank you above all for Jesus who, who broke and just tore around the life of Peter who thought he had it all together as a good Jew. He needed to become a good follower of Jesus instead. And we thank you for the prayer that he taught us to say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.